Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Hope you're having a great. Uh, hope you had a great week, as great as possible, uh, and hope you're gonna have a great day. So, if you have a weekend plans, just know we're gonna have a packed show for you to launch that weekend. Uh, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, whether it's on the podcast, uh, and you can get that on. Uh, Spotify, you can get it on BrianKillMeShow.com or on iTunes, or if you're listening on the app, Radio.com or FoxRadio.com or Fox Radio app. Uh, we have Tiki Barber, finest running back in giant history, fine broadcaster, will be joining us talking about getting sports back on the gridiron. And Admiral James Javidis is waiting in the wings to talk about everything from our vulnerability to a terror attack, to his view on Michael Flynn's situation, to what he thinks the challenge of China is as we've begun, as the rhetoric heats up. Every week that he comes on, Things get worse with China. Uh, we'll discuss as the president uh, will be in the Rose Garden today talking about uh, improvements in the research on vaccines. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. California and New York, Illinois, and a bunch of other blue states, they're all in on the lockdown. The folks who are in swing states, not as much. That's where you're seeing the disparity in the numbers where Biden has a national lead, but he's losing in the battleground states. Yup, uh, that is Tom Bevan, Real Clear Politics, Presidential Politics. New CNN poll shows the president nearing uh, beating Joe Biden in almost every battleground state. CNN ran the poll. And since Joe Biden, since Joe Biden's losing, they don't even run it. As the fight to be Joe Biden's VP heats up, another would-be contender lets it be known that if asked, she will serve. Number two. Does this go potentially all the way up to President Obama at the time? Biden and other people like Samantha Powers and Susan Rice being very close to the president, being involved in this, it looks suspicious. Uh, That is Senator Grassley, not exactly a conspiracy theorist by nature. Uh, He is talking about what's happening uh, with the unmasking mess and the state of the fight for Flynn as the president demands President Obama finally answers some questions. Number one. These protests make it likelier that we're going to have to stay in a stay-home posture. They need to understand the consequences of their cowardly act. They are engaging in behavior that is both selfish and unsafe. Yes, how dare we try to make a living and get out of our house. The race to open responsibly. One more city loosens restrictions while Pennsylvania, New York, and Michigan lag and protest uh, rise. We will travel the nation to see if our leaders really know what's at stake as they choose to shelter in place in some cases. What people have to understand, there really is no choice. It's not being responsible or going back to having fun. We cannot have a country that doesn't work, is not productive, that shuts down and shutters all business. They don't make payments to landlords. Landlords don't payments to banks. Banks fail. We fail. That's where our money is. So we have to find a way to live with the virus because we have to let the scientists need more time to come up with a vaccine or a therapy that's going to be effective. Meanwhile, 
There's hydroxychloroquine. Some promising news has just emerged. We know remdesivir, promising news, has just emerged. We also know more about this illness as the numbers continue to drop from coast to coast. I'm not saying we're out of the woods yet. I'm saying we have to find a way to live with this. I am really not sure why other people have not come to that conclusion. Maybe they think the government's going to continue to hand states the money. What's the rush? So that has not stopped the protest from raging from Harrisburg to Allentown. The president of the United States went right into Pennsylvania. And even though they are the fourth highest in terms of uh, coronavirus cases, they are a very diverse state. And in that diverse state, there are areas with no cases at all. Cut one. I say it's the transition to greatness. The transition is the third quarter. The fourth quarter is going to do very well. And next year is going to be through the roof. We have to get your governor of Pennsylvania to start opening up a little bit. You have areas of Pennsylvania that are barely affected and they have they want to keep them closed. Can't do that. CDC came up with guidelines on reopening schools and businesses. They're not the most detailed. The Washington Post has a problem with that. I don't. You give people a framework from what they do and let them hire the outside people if they have to go outside the school district and our outside business to do it and see if they can budget it and see if that stuff you can actually write off and maybe other businesses can flourish out of this. We'll see. So the president caught a needling at Democratic Governor Tom Wolf as protests continue to rise up throughout Pennsylvania. Here's the governor, cut to. These folks are choosing to desert in the face of the enemy. In the middle of a war that we Pennsylvanians are winning and that we must win, they need to understand the consequences of their cowardly act. They are engaging in behavior that is both selfish and unsafe. Selfish. Really, if you're at, you know, in some cases, maybe if you just want to say, I want to go play darts uh, in, a, in a sports bar and I want to be shoulder to shoulder, which I saw in Wisconsin, I'm not happy about Colorado either because you'll go against what I believe is the truth. And that is that we're responsible enough to act in a responsible way. If you just give us the freedom to go to restaurants and bars and play tennis and golf and everything like that and go back to a life that is more reminiscent of America but now you keep changing the rules. There's no question about it. Let's bend the curve and we'll get back to work. We bend the curve and they say, well, we got to get a vaccine. We bend the curve. The hospitalizations go down. Well, not enough. Still not enough beds. Elective surgeries can start rolling out. So can we start going out? Can we start reinvigorating our businesses, whether it's a sports store or a dry cleaner or a restaurant? And the answer in many cases, even though 45 states have loosened up restrictions, not nearly enough. And that's gotten people crazy, uh, like me, for example. One thing is happening, I think, in New Jersey, and you probably want to call me on this, one 408 They are loosening up a little bit in New Jersey because the numbers are dropping quickly. Cut seven. We're going to try to limit intelligently capacities and social distancing, but leave it to the communities themselves to actually do the, the on-the-ground management of that. Folks want to let off steam. Okay. Our curves are going in the right direction. We're not out of the woods yet. We are still the number one state in America per capita of positive tests, hospitalizations, fatalities. Yeah. So it's a balancing act. As I mentioned, we open up parks, beaches on Memorial Day. We've, we've loosened up construction, curbside pickup from non-essential retail. We're going to do something yeah. on elective surgeries in the next couple of days, pool protocols, charter boats. We're trying slowly. 
responsibly, okay. one step at a so, time to get the place reopened. I love it. And he's trying. And he's a Goldman Sachs guy. And I hope he still can understand what a small business person uh, can do. And lastly, because I want to get to Admiral Stavridis, which I'll talk about China, and, and I'll talk a little bit about a fellow uh, officer, and that's Michael Flynn with him, and then uh, Tiki Barber, and then we'll come back. I just want you to get an understanding on what it is like on the big business. On small business, 100,000 are not coming back. I imagine that's going to quadruple. But Susan Lee from FBN has been talking. She's got great contacts. I don't care if you're uh, Bill Gates or if you're Tim Cook. Susan Lee knows you over at FBN. Here's what she's hearing. And she told Shannon Bream last night, cut 15. Big business, Shannon, wants to get up and running once again. So I would say the liberation hero this week has to be Elon Musk getting that Tesla plant reopened in California. But he's not the only one. We have McDonald's issuing a 50-page guideline today to restart the 14,000 restaurants that they operate across the country. The parent company of Burger King restaurant brands has already started restarted a 1,000 of their dine-in rooms. And then you also heard from Starbucks saying that we expect to get 90% of our stores up and running by early June. So I can tell you big business is itching to get back up and running and they need to since we have 36 million of those filing jobless claims 36 million if you are a governor it is not enough to say i'm playing it safe i'm worried about the virus we all are worried about the virus but people and businesses like starbucks and burger king and i imagine that restaurant down the block which is your family favorite uh, they have already made provisions for you to get there uh, in new york Long Island, they've set up a criteria, and it's a seven-point criteria. And Long Island, which is bending the curve dramatically, uh, hit uh, five of the seven. But the numbers are going down so quickly elsewhere. They just got to get a few more beds full, uh, uh, open in the hospitals. Got to uh, have a few less hospitalizations overall, and Long Island should open. My feeling is if you are close, get it done. Because these businesses, they say on average, have 27 days of cash. We're in week eight. So one week does make a difference. The promise of coming back does make sense. Others are just going to throw in the towel. When you say June 6th or June 13th, which they heard yesterday, if you're in Cuomo, or August, like the Mayor Garcetti of Los Angeles, goodbye. And this hour, you're going to hear from uh, Joe Rogan, as well as... Um, Dave Portnoy of Barstool, not political animals at all, but extremely influential, and they've had it. one 866 We come back, Admiral James Chervitas makes heads or tails over the country, uh, over the country that has uh, perpetrated this poison on the world and also was found to be trying to hack into our vaccine research. Do you believe this? How much lower can they get? It's Brian Kilmeade from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They'd like to renegotiate the deal. Uh, We're not going to renegotiate. Look, I'm not happy about anything having to do with that particular subject right now. We could cut off the whole relationship. Now, if you did, what would happen? You'd save $500 billion if you cut off the whole relationship. So the president now actually is really struggling over the, the best way to hit back on China, who he was on phase one of a trade deal with, but it was acting so unsavory, uh, not only the way they spread the disease, they hoarded the PPE. Now we find out, and Pompeo has confirmed, they actually are trying to hack into our vaccine research. Maybe one person who is not surprised uh, by the resourcefulness of evil, I, okay, my word, Admiral James Javidis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, author of Sailing True North. Admiral... Um, the president's really struggling with what to do next with China because there is going to be things could get economically more challenging if we decide to break off relations. Yeah, it's interesting you use the word break, Brian. Um, Here's what I've said for a long time about U.S.-China relations. We need to bend the relationship. And I think the administration has done a commendable job of trying to do that. We need to bend them on trade and tariff imbalances. We need to bend them on uh, intellectual property theft. We need to bend them on their preposterous claims to own the entire South China Sea. We've got to bend them away from those positions. But we we don't want to break it. We don't want to break that relationship completely. I think the president knows that the implications for the global economy are dire. If that occurs, it, it could lead us into a new Cold War that would be very expensive for us and for them. And over time, I think it's not the right way to go. So we've got to figure out how to put more economic pressure on them, put political pressure on them, get the world talking together about the need for a full investigation of what happened in Wuhan. I think that's job one. And Apple's starting to talk about pulling out. Taiwan's talking about having manufacture a, a chip plant here uh, I think 90% of our pharmaceuticals are made outside our borders. All this stuff has to change. Uh, I understand, Sue, some of the blowback. We decide, okay, we're going to just stop paying China back our debt because they've cost us so much money. If we repudiate their debt, it would harm our credit creditworthiness. If we suspend interest payments, it would hurt our, hurt our, hurt our reputation. If we end sovereign immunity and allow you know, people to sue or states to sue that are suing them now, well, then the United States would be exposed to the same type of lawsuits from around the country. So there's a blowback to everything we'd want to do, a lot of what we want to do. 
Indeed, there is. And I think you're right, by the way, to bring up uh, Taiwan and also Hong Kong in the same breath here. And again, I'll go back to the South China Sea. This is another leverage point. China uh, truly believes they own the entire South China Sea. And to, to consolidate that claim, they want to put significant pressure on Taiwan. They really want to pull Taiwan into uh, the Chinese sovereign system. It exists outside it, as it should, in my view. And so we need to be working, I think, with Taiwan, um, significant leverage point. We need to be working with allies, partners, and friends all around that South China Sea, Brian. That's Vietnam, uh, the Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore. We need to be working broadly with the Australians, the New Zealanders, the South Koreans, the Japanese. We need to take a coalition approach here. I think if we do that collectively, we can put both economic and military pressure on China. Here's what the Chinese ambassador said, uh, the Chinese ambassador to the U.K., talking about uh, how they've handled that outbreak of this coronavirus, Cut 51. We are open. We are transparent. We have nothing to hide. Uh, We have nothing to fear. You know, we we welcome international uh, independent review, but it has to be, uh, you know, uh, organized by WHO. The WHO hasn't even been in there, but they have to organize a review who they control. So uh, they've been transparent. Yeah, uh, that is, again, to use the word the second time on your show, preposterous. Uh, China has been anything but transparent. And as you pointed out, quoting Secretary of State Pompeo, we're seeing China try and hack into these uh, vaccine efforts. Um, All of that is not what a transparent state does. And without question, um, they hid the ball for weeks, if not a couple of months, knowing this thing could go viral. And again, we have got to have an investigation. And no, it should not be led by the WHO. It ought to be a a consolidated uh, effort, um, probably under a United Nations uh, heading. But um, there's got to be the U.S., Australia, U.K., um, have to have access into Wuhan province. China's not going to like that. I do think it ought to be scientifically based, not politically driven. But I think we can do that. And I'll close on this point, Brian, by saying, remember when Russia shot down a commercial airliner over Ukraine, enormous demand across the globe for an international investigation. Ultimately, they were forced to cooperate with it. It pinned culpability on Russia. Um, I think we're going to find some similarities here. Once we get through the investigation, then we can talk about sanctions, reparations, uh, culpability to go alongside that accountability. Yeah, I have news for you. They're not going to be into it. Here's more from that ambassador, <laughs> Cut 52. So you can't blame China. China. China is a victim. China is not a culprit of this virus. It's not a, it's not a man-made virus. You know, it's it's a na- out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share in origin so we have to adopt a scientific approach you know you can't you can't have this uh, 
campaign of uh, stigmatizing disinformation smear against China, as some American politicians are doing. Right. So they're, they're victims. Uh, final thought. <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Admiral, you there? Yes, I'm right here. Oh, my final thought. Yeah. Uh, um, they are not victims. They are without question. Uh, they have to uh, open up, show the world what happened. That's the only way they're going to restore their credibility globally. That's important to China. Um, they think they're saving face by avoiding this. They are not. They need to open up. That's the only way they can restore their credibility as a nation. Admiral James Savitas, thanks so much. Go to AdmiralStav.com, find out more what he thinks and where to get things like his book, Sailing True North, Ten Admirals and the Voyage of Character. Thanks, Admiral. Thanks, Brian. See you soon. You got it. one 408 7669 Your call's next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at FoxNewsPodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. Vice President, what was your involvement in the investigation uh, of Michael Flynn and the FBI investigation of Michael Flynn? I was never a part or had any knowledge of any criminal investigation into Flynn while I was in office, period. Not one single time. All right. uh, The problem, Joe Biden. Why there was no follow-up question, which I didn't wa- I don't watch Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC, but everything I saw in the transcript, there was no follow-up question. Why wouldn't you at least say, but on January 12, 2017, Mr. Vice President, you made a request to unmask him. Now, why would you do that? If he says, I don't remember, three years ago, and something like this, a transition between administrations, you cannot be president. All right? That means there's something mentally wrong, or you're flat-out lying. Or, this is the other thing. Or someone's doing it in his name. I've been trying to ask people how you go about this. And the way I understand it is you get a form and you say to the NSA, I need this person unmasked. Okay? Almost every time I guess they say yes. Because listen to this. The Trump administration in 2019 had 10,012 unmasking requests fulfilled, 16,721 fulfilled, and 9,529 in 2017. Okay? So this happens a lot, and I assume everything's a yes. It's like the Pfizer report. I mean, you put a request and you seem to get it. So, Mr. Vice President, what are you doing? Because you asked to unmask Flynn. Comey asked to unmask Flynn December 15th. Brennan asked for in between uh, two requests, December 14th and December 15th. McDonough, the chief of staff, imagine, for the president, January 5th. Okay, that's interesting. Samantha Power. Multiple times, seven times, November 30th, 2016 to January 11th. Now, she says, I didn't do it. Okay, are you lying? Who are you? Or is someone doing it in your name? Which would be nuts to think that some staffer or somebody else could say, yeah, I'm calling from Samantha Powers' office. I'd like to know who the American was uh, who was on the other side of that line. The most innocuous call with Angela Merkel or the most controversial call? with Vladimir Putin. So I'm getting introduced to a whole new masking world. 
when you first heard masking, you think to yourself, okay, you got to watch American privacy. That never happens. Now, when I see numbers like this, I see it happens all the time. When I see you focus just on Michael Flynn, and then you, you're President Obama, and you say, hey, Sally Yates and James Comey, make sure you watch what intelligence you give to the new administration. I assume he thinks that they're in bed with Vladimir Putin in Russia. Crazy, if he really believes that. And if he doesn't, just as crazy, because that means it's subversive. Let's go out to Roy. Listen on WVGA in Valdosta, Georgia. Roy. Hey, good morning, Brian. I, I just want to let you know I am dressed, so you can calm down. Thank you. You don't have to be, <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, well, anyway, a um, couple of things. Uh, the security clearances for Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler need to be revoked. Um, I'm a retired federal employee, and I had a security clearance. And there's a form that you have to sign that says this can be revoked at any time. And uh, I've seen it done well, over Roy, my career. it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, and they yeah. don't leak themselves. Other people's staffers leak. And that's what Don Jr. said from day one. He said, I'd be in the middle of testimony. We would take a break for lunch or to get a drink, and I'd come back. This story would be on Politico of what I just said. Clearly, it was coming from a Democratic side of uh, of the uh, Oversight Committee, which uh, Adam Schiff is head up. So that's not going to happen. Uh, the the uh, Flynn stuff is disturbing, but now uh, with this judge kicking this over to a retired judge to decide if they should be prosecuted, it's going to continue for a while. Uh, and I do believe that Rick Grinnell is going to have more intelligence to give to Grassley and Johnson, who are going to release it. Jerry, listen on WHIO in Dayton, Ohio. Jerry. Hey, Brian. Uh, uh- even before I found out about the Michael Flynn thing, uh, just with the lockdown going on nationwide, one organization to me has been exposed as a fraud. And now with the Michael Flynn thing coming up, it's even more exposing them as a fraud. Where is the American Civil Liberties Union during all this? They, the, the A still stands for American, correct? Yeah, it should say left wing, but it says American. Nowhere to be found, nowhere to be heard. I hear you. Uh, Thanks so much for the call. An email comes in from uh, uh, Lola. She said, could you find out if President Obama administration unmasked his political opponent from the Republican Party in 2012? I know one thing. Got a total pass on this. What was the reason why the Republicans were so successful in 2010 after getting routed in 2008? Because of the Tea Party. The rise up uh, and the response to Obamacare. The waste of funds uh, and the lack of shovel-ready jobs when it came to the $800 billion stimulus package, right? They got a total pass on that. I'm not sure if it played a role in Mitt Romney not getting elected. Mitt Romney not going for the jugular in the last debate uh, probably did it, but he was going to be tough to beat anyway. Uh, We'll continue to follow that. Listen, when we come back, I'm going to talk to Tiki Barber. Uh, He's a fine broadcaster for CBS. I'm also going to ask him this about football coming back. I give so much credit to the National Football League. They were about to have a controversial CBA and had trouble with the Players Association. And when this all pandemic happened, the players and owners signed it. I wish baseball would understand the urgency and the perception if they decide not to sign off on some type of new players agreement because they're only going to have an 80-game season. I'll talk to uh, uh, Tiki about that and so much more as the New York Giant running back turned broadcaster joins us. And always keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com so you can order any of my books, including Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, now out on paperback. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're all seeking, after weeks of dealing with this difficult virus and the unprecedented crisis that it's brought on, and we see our healthcare workers and first responders are just uh, doing heroic things. I think we all need something to look forward to. We need something to come together. And so I agree with you on the hope. I agree with you on the optimism and looking forward and looking to the future. And I told that to these young players the other day when I was speaking to them is they're a big part of that in their communities. They are going to bring hope to their communities and to their teams. I think it's an important role for us right now in this environment. Yeah, that is Commissioner Roger Goodell, of course, talking about the release of the schedule as if the league is going to get off on time. They have contingencies. But he didn't want to talk about that. He wanted to talk about matchups and give people hope. After all, he gave us the draft. People loved it. Uh, they were thirsting for it. Record numbers to watch it. A guy that's digested the draft almost from the day he walked off the field as the Giants' all-time leading rusher with almost 11,000 yards. Uh, Tiki Barber joins us now with CBS Radio, and uh, now he is also uh, not done there. He is also the president of uh, Thusio, which is your chance to interact with uh, some of the fine athletes that you've uh, watched throughout your lifetime. Uh, Tiki, welcome. What's happening, my friend? Hope you're staying safe and I'm managing the monotony of the day-to-day life, but since you're working full-time, you know, it's, it's a regular grind for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, you know, I feel privileged to be able to work. You too. I heard you on WFAN <laughs> the other day too, right? You're yeah, doing everything. No, we, uh, they, they have us going six days a week right now, and, and I kind of don't even mind. Otherwise, it, it, I'd be staring out my window watching uh, the days turn nice outside, not being able to really do anything. Yeah, um, you know, you used to working hard and everything you do, you, you're 120%, usually doing more than one thing at once. And you also founded this company called Thusio. And now yep. I feel like a lot of people stole your idea because we have <laughs> these, a lot of these athletes and sportscasters are sitting at home. And like Terry Bradshaw, like everybody's got their home studio now with their iPads or iPhones. <laughs> and it was able to give people an opportunity to interact with uh, the people they grew up watching, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of, everybody's had to evolve in this crazy time that we're living in right now. Enthusio, which which has turned into a company, it, it was two companies. One is an influencer marketing company called Julius Enthusio, which does live events. Obviously, we can't do live events right now. And so we've made some adjustments and some some um, some pivots here. And we're doing a lot of virtual appearances with guys like Keith Hernandez or Wade Boggs or Joe LaCava, if you like golf, who's Tiger Woods' ca- uh, caddy. And with some of our corporate clients who are looking to entertain, who are looking to you know generate some lessons from sports uh, celebrities and stars and you know, it's, it's actually worked out really well. I think everybody's getting used to Zooming or FaceTiming or or Skyping everything these days, and it kind of just fits right into the natural flow of things in the, in the world that we live in right now. And where do we get the roster and, and, and the pricing and everything? Really, you can you can just go to Thusio.com. Um, it's a, it, there'll be pricing and, and a roster of available players that are there. 
Uh, and really, you know, we can reach out to anyone. That's been our business model over the last you know, six or seven years now that we've been operating. We've created a database that allows us to get in touch with almost anyone uh, in the world, not just in sports, but, but particularly in sports for Fusio. And so we're excited about it. It's giving companies a way to diversify their business meetings and uh, just like we would do on a, if we were if we were not quarantined and stuck inside uh, now we just are able to do it virtually and it's working out really well for us so uh, that's great uh, Tiki you're always enterprising now let's talk about football those days of what's wrong with the league and why is this guy kneeling <laughs> and uh, why is he not in those are over I feel like we're all on the same team right now the media the fans the players and owners. Am I uh, seeing rose-colored glasses, or or am I like I think I am, one hundred percent right? <laughs> no, you are one hundred percent right. Everybody needs sports to come back, and it's, it's one from an economic standpoint. If you're looking at the, the broadcast networks who have committed billions of dollars to put out a product, which right now can't be played from an owner's standpoint who are looking to generate revenue from players who are looking to sustain lifestyles and uh, and growth and interest and diversions for fans. And, and right now we, we don't have it. I mean, unless you're going to watch the KBO, the Korean baseball organization, or if you're a UFC fan and you're able to watch UFC 240, uh, 249 over the weekend, there's really nothing for you right now. And I got to tell you, I, I heard your intro with Goodell and, and and it was right. Like he's providing hope by doing the things that are available and not necessarily um, having to put people in, in risk and harm's way. The draft was virtual. It was awesome, right? The release of the schedule was, was also kind of virtual, and it was also great because you start to speculate. And I, I think the NFL has been lucky because they're in the offseason, but it's coming quickly. Um, the need for training camps and for guys to start getting back in shape and learning playbooks, it's, it's, it's coming. It's here uh, pretty soon. And if, if they have to delay the schedule, I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Right. Uh, I mean, they, they have plans, and I think they, they're going to first perhaps go through a, a diminished crowd. I love what Miami said. Hey, I'm, I, we figure 16,000 fans. We're going to give them all different entrances to enter. They're going to leave yep. like they're leaving church a row at a time. <laughs> that's, we gotta, that's, that's the way you do it. Because you yeah, don't I mean, sit there and say, I guess i got to stay at home. The virus is dangerous. No, how yeah. do I deal with this? Yeah, but the difference, though, Brian, is that I, I, look, I, I love Miami's idea uh, because so much revenue is generated from the gate, like the ticket sales, and then once you're there, the concessions and merchandise that is sold, uh, parking, all, all the all the tertiary things that are that are associated with going to a, a live sporting event. Um, but at the same time, a stadium of seventy thousand that has fifteen or sixteen thousand in it is going to feel it's going to feel like one of those. It's going to feel like practice or spring game that you sometimes see in college sports. And so the atmosphere, while I think uh, better than nothing, is still going to feel really, really quiet. But I, but again, you're right. It is better than nothing. The thing that you have to start worrying about, though, Brian, is the athletes themselves. And we saw this in, in the UFC. There was a fighter that tested positive before the fight, and he had to sit out. Uh, we saw this uh, in one of the European soccer leagues that restarted. I believe it was in Germany. You know, two or three players got 
um, uh, were tested positive, and so now all of a sudden they have to sit out for two weeks, and there's a thought that the entire team is going to have to sit out the whole week because they were exposed. What happens if a player, uh, you know, has gets test test positive for coronavirus, and or what if he doesn't and he starts spreading it, and we don't know? And so it, there's just so many obstacles, despite the feeling of hope that the season is going to get off on time there's still so many hurdles that need to be jumped yeah true and that's a great point uh because let's say uh, any player has it you're in the locker room together you're all test negative do you go out and play yep. uh i guess we'll know more about the virus hopefully by september and there's such promising things on a vaccine but i want to bring it to the other thing that's keeping america going and that is uh, michael jordan story the last dance the series uh that 10-part yeah. series yeah, uh, have you watched it? <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, I watch every weekend. And it's, I mean, you see, I think we knew these things about Michael Jordan. It was, it was less said than with some other, you know, really hard uh, superstars that, uh, on their teammates like Kobe. Kobe was notoriously hard uh, on his t- on his teammates. It's, it's why him and Dwight Howard never got along. That's why him and Shaq are, you know, likely, you know, butted heads for a lot of their time, despite the fact that they won championships together. But Michael, we're seeing it, like, live and in color, and it's in a view of him that we just haven't explored before. Um, you know, maybe, you know, underneath the surface we kind of expected that, but to see it... And to see him getting after his teammates, and to see, you know, uh, you know, some of his decisions that he made on the court, I think it's it's fascinating, and it just highlights more of the uh, the backstory of this great athlete yeah. that we all love. So listen to Will Purdue. You know, he's an average center on that team, and you know, he got all those championships. Listen to what he said about Jordan. People were afraid of him. We were his teammates and we were afraid of him. And there was just fear. That's all I want to throw it to you. I just throw it to you. The fear factor of, of MJ was so, so thick. Yeah, let's not get it wrong. He was an He was a jerk. He crossed the line numerous times. But as time goes on and you think back about what he was actually trying to accomplish, you're like, yeah, he was a hell of a teammate. He was pushing us all to be better because he wanted to win. And guess what? It worked. We kind of needed and, that. And you know he, what I'm saying? I needed him to be the bad guy, the tough guy. Second guy I was Scotty Pippen. Brian. Tiki. Yeah. Right. Well, well you're an elite yeah. athlete. Most people like me are not. Um, so <laughs> I'm a, he got emotional talking about why he did it. He said cut. He started getting emotional when he talked about how tough he was and what his teammates thought of him. He said, all right, that's it. Break. Yeah. Do you think that yeah. is that because he regrets it, or what do you think he's thinking there? I yeah, that's a it's a great question, Brian. I I don't know. I mean, because in some ways you'd think he'd be proud of that. Like this is this is who I was, and this is why we won you know six championships over three over two three peats, and you know. But I also think he's maybe for the first time seeing the hum- humanity in it or the lack thereof. And it's not who he is now. You know what I mean? When he was in his, you know, thirties, early thirties, early you know, winning championships with the Chicago Bulls, he was just just this, this animal. Um, and the human side of him was on the outside. It wasn't important, and it's why he didn't care to make friends. But now here he is, almost you know, fifty-five years old or so, fifty-six years old, 
and he's not that player. He's not that guy anymore. And so he's seeing the humanity of how he used to used to act. And you know, the crazy thing is, Brian, like in today's sports world, you couldn't get away with it, right? You couldn't. Uh, it, there's so much emphasis on like mental health and not beating guys down, and you know, you know, teaching them in the way that they want to be taught that you, you yeah. probably couldn't have it the same way uh, that you can now. And maybe Michael's aware of that. Uh, so I don't know. It, it was fascinating. You're right that he got emotional watching how he used to behave, despite the fact that he acknowledges the reason that we won so much was because I was that guy. Amazing, right? Could talk about it forever and talk to you forever. He doesn't just do sports, doesn't just do football. He does everything. Tiki Barber, congratulations on this. And if people want to find out more, they go to Thuzio, uh, Thuzio.com, correct? T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. That's Great. correct, Brian. Hey, thanks a lot, Tiki. Talk to you soon. Anytime, my friend. Be well. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. I think I remember the format. I talk now. Geraldo Rivera is going to be on with us this hour. Call Rove, too. You want a guy that's uh, smarter in politics? I don't think you'll find any in the country. And uh, Senator Lindsey Graham will be joining us. He's uh, red hot right now because he is uh, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he's going to be hauling in uh, James Comey and company and uh, John Brennan, he better go, and Susan Rice, and all those who are unmasking to find out what they were up to, what they really thought was happening as they transitioned to the Trump team. Uh, they like to say now, I think it's almost comical, they say on CNN and MSNBC, why is Fox obsessed with Russia? Why is the president looking to distract? Are you kidding me? If, this came, if there was no pandemic, this is something we've been waiting to get on the other side of this issue for three years. And finally, the president's beginning to get answers and no longer the Mueller report rumors that produces what we saw, which was anything but collusion which, by the way, James Clapper admitted to, too, anything but collusion uh, between the Trump team and Vladimir Putin. Now that it's gone the president's direction, uh, UFC at end saying, I cannot believe how Fox is obsessed with this story. Please. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. California and New York, Illinois, and a bunch of other blue states, they're all in on the lockdown. The folks who are in swing states, not as much. That's where you're seeing the disparity in the numbers where Biden has a national lead, but he's losing in the battleground states. Oh, well, very interesting. Real clear politics, Tom Bevin on presidential politics. You got a new CNN poll that shows the president is beating Joe Biden in 15 battleground states. So CNN doesn't even talk about it as the fight to be Joe Biden's VP uh, has another contender say, please pick me. It's Susan Rice. I'll continue. Number two. Does this go potentially all the way up to President Obama at the time? Biden and other people like Samantha Powers and Susan Rice being very close to the president, being involved in this. It looks suspicious. Uh, unmasking the mess and state of the fight for Flynn as the president demands President Obama finally answer some questions. I don't think that's likely. Number one. 
these protests make it likelier that we're going to have to stay in a stay-home posture. They need to understand the consequences of their cowardly act. They are engaging in behavior that is both selfish and unsafe. Uh, The race to open. That was Governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania. Responsibly. One more city loosens restrictions while Pennsylvania, New York, Michigan lag and protests rise. We will travel the nation to see if our leaders really know what's at stake when they choose to shelter in place. Joining us now, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, the presidential race is kind of heating up as both sides cannot do the traditional campaigning. And Joe Biden tries to get on the other side of the masking mess. How's he doing? Well, I think that he's having a very difficult time, Brian. How are you doing? Uh, it's uh, embarrassing and hard to watch Joe Biden struggling uh, in, from his basement uh, bunker to not just communicate with the American people. Uh, I think that is uh, obviously the, uh, uh, the, the big issue. But the fact of the matter, the nuts and bolts of it is that he does not seem to be able to put two sentences together. It doesn't seem to me that he's able to uh, give a paragraph to the American people that makes sense. Uh, the the uh, examples you had this morning on Fox and Friends, I mean, he became so befuddled. He, he lost his train of thought. He mixed up the unemployment statistic with the number of... Hey, do you want to hear it? And, yeah, sure. We're, 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 yeah, well, let's we're, it's a, we're in the middle of a pandemic that had cost us more than 85,000 jobs as of today. Lives of millions of people, millions of people, millions of jobs. What have we learned? What have, what have we learned? Is, I, I found it both stunning and heartbreaking. What, you know, uh, um, what's, he, he, whomever, what are the things that people are most concerned about? What are you hearing the most? I mean, what's what's what and what keeps you awake at night? What the hell does that mean? Uh, yeah, Eighty five thousand jobs have been lost. It's, it's like grandpa telling you what he did in the war. Uh, you know, you just uh, you're trying to like uh, we, we lost eighty five thousand jobs. We lost. Almost 3 million people file for unemployment. 36.5 million total are unemployed right now. It has nothing to do with the 85,000 number. That's the number of, of uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, dead Americans due to COVID-19. Uh, it just, uh, you know, he's so baffled, it, it seems. It, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's the matter with him. I, I, I think that I resisted going down that road for an awfully long time, but I, I really do believe that you know he's not going to get sharper as uh, as the campaign gruels on and he gets out of the basement. I, I think that his ability to communicate uh, and the uh, you know the the apparent uh, befuddlement that has uh, befallen him, I, I think, uh, is a, a real mortal threat to the Biden candidacy, Brian. Uh, Geraldo Rivera, you are 100 percent right. The other thing is he was asked about how he's getting information on the pandemic. He says, I get briefed 90 minutes at least every day, every day. And they go, by who? He goes, could not remember anybody's name that was briefing him. Number one, it means it's not true. Or number two, the fact that he doesn't remember anybody's name is a little crazy. The other thing is he has. uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say you mentioned uh, General Flynn and unmasking. I mean, Joe Biden seems to be in the middle of that also. Why was Joe Biden asking General Flynn to be unmasked? What was the outgoing vice president with 
less than two weeks to serve. What was he doing getting involved in, uh, in, in this? It's like a full-court fraternity sorority press to get uh, General Flynn before the deadline was up on uh, January 20th when he got inaugurated. Uh, it just, uh, it just well, seems to me that the, there's going to be hell to pay at a time when people can finally concentrate on what's going on. Uh, right now, we're all distracted and uh, you know, righteously so by this awful epidemic. But uh, at some point, America is going to emerge from this cocoon and say, uh, Joe Biden, really? That's what I think anyway, Brian. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes the vice presidential pick one of the most critical picks in the history of American modern American politics. As Stacey Abrams says, I want it badly. And Susan Rice said the same thing yesterday. I'd like to have it. And, you know, say Klobuchar is auditioning every day uh, and Elizabeth Warren, too, because they know they're not going to be an accessory. They'll be a main cog. Now, you have a great analytical mind and a lot has to do with your legal background and your investigative skills. So I'm just going to throw some things at you and tell me if it makes sense. Maybe the answer is I don't know. John Brennan made two requests to unmask uh, to, uh, Michael Flynn on December 14th and 15th. Comey made one on December 15th. January 5th, uh, the chief of staff for President Obama, McDonough, made a request. January 12th was Biden's. Samantha Power's request began on, Jan- on, on November 30th, and her, his, her last one of seven was January 11th. Clapper had uh, three requests, too, from December 2nd to January 7th. Why? Why the redundancy? I mean, are, is it that? E- I mean, are they entertaining themselves with a great, uh, a great conspiracy? Are they not communicating with each other? Why all this redundancy of unmasking of the same person? A, a, a great question. To me, Brian, it spells out uh, an obscene eagerness to do something malicious to the incoming Trump administration. There was contempt. The Obama team, all so educated, all so sophisticated, all so elite, uh, all so confident that they are on the side of justice and right in America. They felt that they could do anything they wanted. To Trump was beneath contempt. Uh, they were going to do their best to muck him up. Uh, you know, going back to the uh, the Strook and Lisa Page uh, memos, you saw what the prevailing attitude was in the highest levels of the FBI, the Department of Justice, and in the uh, the so-called deep state. I really believe that they felt they could do anything and everything. They saw the Flynn case as an example. Well, maybe I can get my hook into it. Maybe I'll give this my spin. Maybe this gets me my mention on the front page of the New York Times. I, I really do believe It'll take time, and we've got a you know a, a, it's a big fish to fry. In the meantime, this COVID nineteen epidemic, we've got to get it under control. But it will come. And they they pushed the rock up the hill to get Trump, but they didn't quite make it. Now that rock's rolling back on them, and it's going to be ugly. I think this unmasking episode will be one of many. You'll see what they did. In my opinion. You'll find what they did in the from the summer of 2016 until January 2017 is going to be an obscene trail of malevolence directed at destroying uh, the 45th president's uh, term in office. Brian. I remember when we had that election mess, I had to really find out what happens when things like Florida happens and the ballots didn't work. 
uh, you know, in the Electoral College. And all of a sudden, some of the lecturers started defecting. And I thought, well, what are the rules here? Now I'm learning so much about the law because there's so much unprecedented with the Michael Flynn case. First, this Emmett Sullivan decides, I'm going to get a retired attorney to analyze whether we really should prosecute Michael Flynn for his previous pleas, uh, for a previous deal he cut, uh, claiming he lied to the FBI. And then this story popped up. Michael Flynn's fired lawyers just filed court papers to reappear in the case. So Covington, which has happened to be Covington, Burlington, which happens to be the place where Eric Holder works to and where Emmett Sullivan used to work and is best friends with Eric Holder. And he's the providing uh, presiding judge. Uh, yes, it turns out that both Robert Kellner and Stephen Anthony uh, who told Flynn to plead guilty to charges they led to the FBI, and then they got fired because Flynn realized he didn't get the best legal advice, and they hired Sidney Powell. The new attorneys immediately accused Flynn's previous legal team of ineffective assistance, and now they want their say in court. Please tell well, me this makes sense to you. It, 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 it makes sense in a, in a slapdash way. But the, the bottom line, Brian, is that they saw Flynn as a vulnerable target in the inner sanctum of the Trump camp. Remember, Trump almost got himself in trouble after this all started coming down by going to James Comey directly and very awkwardly and suggesting to Comey, hey, man, can we make this go away? Now, you and I can say something like that in our dealings, uh, you know, in, uh, in trivial life. But you can't go to the FBI director and say, uh, call off an FBI investigation into my national security advisor. We know now that it was a, a Trump did trap. That. We know now that they were trying to get him, that they, were, that they, that they had uh, evil intent. We know that now. But at the time, I, I think the president of the United States came very close to getting to falling into the trap that they were setting for Flynn, and they were salivating at the prospect of bringing down Donald Trump. But, but you know, Bill Barr, to me, is, is the dominant personality, and, and, the, and the, you know, history will write special kind of courage. The attorney general, the much maligned attorney general, he did, he said two things. He said, first, the miracle is, that Donald Trump was able to function at all during this period, given the fact that he couldn't trust anybody in that building, that everybody in that building was jumping, you know, rats deserting the, the seemingly sinking ship. He had everything else going on, and this Russia, Russia, Russia thing, pounding, pounding, and all the rest of what happened to his president, Iran, and, uh, you know, the other, yeah. uh, he had China, he had a million, uh, he had uh, uh, Russia, he had a million things going on, and not knowing, not knowing that e even his national security advisor had been, uh, you know, they were trying to get him to cooperate, to turn. He didn't know who to trust Trump. The miracle is that he survived it. And I, the other thing is, you can draw a straight line from Flynn and the unmasking to impeachment three years later. Yep. The impeachment started when Trump was elected 
it consummated itself in January, February of, of this year. But this, it's a straight line. They tried everything to create constitutional crises, to get Trump thrown out of office, to undo the election. And as alarming and as conspiratorial as all that sounds, um, I believe mm-hmm. firmly that there's a sound historic basis for these uh, charges, Brian. Yeah, and just keep in mind, if there's no Mueller report, Trump has a better chance of keeping the House. Republicans have a better chance of keeping the House. Instead, it looks like he got there for corrupt means, colluding with Russia in order to do it, or at least created doubt and independence and undecideds. And then all of a sudden you have an impeachment, which is carried over through the holidays, which at one time, if you can just, logic tells you, they weren't focusing as much on the future pandemic when they're focused on their utter, their utter survival. Uh, that had sidetracked the administration just like the, the Lewinsky situation sidetracked Clinton when it came to bin Laden. Um, and we all pay the price for it. Uh, sure Geraldo, did. thanks and so we much. We didn't even get a pen from Nancy Pelosi when she was handing out her pens. <laughs> yeah, although it was a solemn moment. I was very solemn. Very uh, solemn. Thank you, Geraldo. Very solemn. Yeah. Thank you. You got it. one 408 7669 I'll take your calls when we get back. Then we go to Carl Rove, one of the best in the business, and we end with uh, the newsmaker right now in Washington that everybody wants to talk to, and that is Lindsey Graham. But we got him. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm not, and I, I have a, I have a, uh, like all of you, every day I have between an hour and an hour and a half a brief with um, uh, a former head of, uh, our former Surgeon General, anyway, with docs across the country. Wow. When asked, what do you do to get the latest information on the pandemic? That was Joe Biden's response. He could not remember their name. He knows he gets an hour and a half briefing from them. Um, he did not have a good day yesterday. And his answer, as it has to do with the unmasking, is really unacceptable. He totally ducks it and said I had nothing to do with it. But there was no follow-up with uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. Maybe he didn't want the answer. Then why did you ask to unmask the phone call then? So that's, uh, he said I had nothing to do with the investigation. Well, one of the last things you did before you left is ask to unmask the phone call. What was your curiosity? And if you don't remember, if you don't remember then you really are ill-equipped to be president of the United States. Cut 31. Mr. Vice President, what was your involvement in the investigation uh, of Michael Flynn and the FBI investigation of Michael Flynn? I was never a part or had any knowledge of any criminal investigation into Flynn while I was in office, period. Not one single time. It's not right. Of course you are. WNIS is where we find Michael. Hey, Michael, you're in Virginia Beach. What's on your mind? Real quick. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, I want to put you uh, in the same category as uh, Jim Bohannon for being willing to take hostile callers to uh, your guest position. Uh, The FBI director, Comey, was uh, a month late, uh, a month behind the CIA director and the DNI 
in uh, asking to unmask the man who was uh, the top aide of uh, the president's son-in-law in uh, working a $450 million deal in Turkey. So the reason he has now changed his plea is can only be two. One, he's been guaranteed Michael Flynn? a pardon. Michael Flynn is not the, not the chief of staff of the brother-in-law. What are you talking about? Michael Flynn on a side job work with Turkey. It didn't look like the best deal he ever cut, but that was his consulting firm. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fact that there is no precedent that anybody can find for someone who's been charged with perjury just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff where you, you begin to get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but our basic understanding of, of rule of law is uh, is at risk. I'm not buying it, and I'm not buying that he's buying it. Either is Carl Rove, former deputy chief of staff, senior advisor to President George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, just wrote an article for the a column for the Wall Street Journal talking about President Obama and trying to rationalize people into what type of president he was. I'm not saying he's not charismatic and a good speaker, but, man, he was a divider. And seven out of every ten Americans believed it. Carl? What were your thoughts when you heard, I knew you had an idea for a column after that, when you heard President Obama express that type of befuddlement on what Department of Justice, on what the AG did? Well, it, it, it immediately struck me he had a lack of self-awareness. I mean, here he is lecturing us about the rule of law uh, and saying that uh, dropping the charges against Flynn means, you know, we, that we were that Trump was undermining the rule of law. Bob Barr, the Bill Barr, the, the Attorney General, was doing so as well. And and yet, I mean, think about it. it, it read any, anybody who doubts this. Go read online the twenty-page motion by the government. First of all, they point out that that the charge requ- quote requires a statement to not to be not simply false, but materially false with respect to a matter under investigation. And what happened in this instance was, in December of 2016, the FBI found no evidence whatsoever that Flynn was involved with collusion with Russia. And they, they, they prepared the paperwork to formally end what was called the Razor investigation, the investigation of Flynn. They, filed it, they, they prepared it during the, East, uh, during the Christmas holidays and then failed to file it. And so in early January, Peter Strzok finds out that they haven't yet filed the paperwork, he goes to, quote, the seventh floor, meaning to Cuomo, and says, we still want to enter. I still want to interview Flynn, don't you? And so he then texts his, his lover, Lisa Page, and says, the incompetence of our department has saved us. I got permission from the seventh floor to go after uh, Flynn. And then Comey tells the president of the United States that they intend to inter- interview Flynn without, and tells him that he has not informed his superior the acting attorney general of the United States, Sally Yates, of this. I mean, talk about the rule of law. There's the FBI director briefing the president on, uh, on the 
uh, interview on an FBI interview of the incoming president's national security advisor and telling him we haven't brought Sally Yates into this. I haven't told my boss that I intend to do this. That is in violation of the rules and procedures of the FBI and the Department of Justice. And then they literally notify they literally notify Sally Yates as the agents are en route to the White House to interview Flynn on the 24th of January after the president, new president just been sworn in. And again, in violation of procedure, she says, I've got concerns about this. And they say, too late. They're en route. We can't stop them. Then, to me, this is just astonishing. When you're interviewed by the FBI, generally by two agents, they take notes. They then take those notes and put them in what's called a 302, a report on their interrogation of their interview with you. Normally, those things get completed within a couple of days and turned in within three or four days and made an official part of the file. In this instance, the 302 on this is being – we now know after the investigation by the U.S. attorney from the Eastern District of Missouri that it takes five weeks for them to turn in the 302, and it is being heavily edited by Peter Strzok and by Lisa Page, who was nowhere near that interview. And the original notes from the interview have been lost. The original draft of the 302 is lost. The only thing the government was able to provide was a 302 that was prepared by Strzok and Page five weeks later. And during that period of time, Strzok writes an email to Page saying, well, I hope we, we're, we're trying to make it as, you know, as, as, as in conformity to the original interview as possible. But talk about a violation of the rule of law. And now we're being lectured by President Obama, who's apparently been aware of parts of this, and he's lecturing the Trump administration and Attorney General Bill Barr on the rule of law after participating in this. Anyway, sorry to get hyperventilated about it. No, I mean, you, you have it down, uh, Pat. So let me ask him about the unmasking. You know, the first time we really heard unmasking to the general population, not so much like an insider like you, was when this whole thing was happening with Michael Flynn and Kislyak and things like that. And I was surprised to see the Office of National Intelligence reported that in 2019, Trump asked for 10,000 unmasking requests, 16,000 in 2018, 9,500 in 2017. So um, unmasking uh, seems to be a regular request. What I don't understand is the redundancy why does Samantha uh, Power need seven requests? Why does Biden request an unmasking a week after uh, the chief of staff of the president of the United States? Why the redundancy of the request? What's happening here? Well, actually, you know, first of all, we're looking at the wrong thing. Yes, the unmasking, there are a lot of unmaskings. It is routine. And remember, what's happening is the same intelligence document is being sent to a number of people throughout the administration. And some of them may say, I want to know who that name is. And some of them will say, I don't really need to know who that name is. But they're all entitled to unmask. They're entitled to make a request to say, I, you, you, you mentioned a source. I want to know who that source is. And my security classification gives me the ability to ask for it. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that somebody received that information and proceeded to give it to David Ignatius of the Washington Post. And that happened the day that Joe Biden's office requested the unmasking information. Now, I'm not saying he did it. It may just be a coincidence, but that's the real violation. Somebody had the authority under the laws of the United States to ask for somebody to, to, for a source to be unmasked. That means they were a high-ranking official with a high degree of, of security classification, and that they violated the law because the law says you can't share that information with people who do not have the same security clearance. They shared it with David Ignatius of the Washington Post, who proceeded to, to uh, print it. So the leak is what is the problem here. 
somebody violated the laws of the United States and the oath they took to uphold the laws of the United States by taking classified information and leaking mm. it to the Washington Post. That's the problem, not the unmasking itself. Sure, there are routinely, I mean, I'm not surprised by those numbers under President Trump, and I wouldn't be surprised by those same numbers under President Obama. But think about this. In 2017, of the 10,000 or so uh, 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 requests, 10,000-plus requests for unmasking, how many of them end up getting leaked to the Washington Post? Well, we know one, and whoever did that violated the law and ought to be found out, charged, and prosecuted. And uh, the other thing is what, how to get out, and then why was there such an offensive? Did they really think that Trump sold out our country to Russia? Or were they just trying to hamstring an administration that was going to undo everything that they did, which, by the way, they've done? Um, real quick, your well, answer I, to that? Yeah, I, I don't know. But in either instance, somebody violated the law. And in either instance, gotcha. they were acting in a way that is against the interests of the United States of America and trying to make the transition of power from one administration to another more problematic for the incoming administration. That, that is a shameful moment. In, in, in our country's history. Carl Rove, always great having you on. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too, buddy. You got it. And uh, Carl Rove, a big help. Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, is now out. Um, it is on paperback, and I included Sam Houston's interaction with Lincoln on the eve of the Civil War. But when we come back, the newsmaker of the time, the, probably the, uh, the number one interview in Washington right now, not named President Trump, Senator Lindsey Graham live. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I think our country is in very serious trouble. When you have such blatant political corruption at the highest levels of U.S. government, something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. It's amazing the different perceptions. I look at what John Brennan and Clapper and company did, and I think that is the worst I've seen in my lifetime. They look at this administration and he says, our country's in deep trouble. I need a referee. Here to break the tie, Senator Lindsey Graham. Senator, do you agree with John Brennan that that unmasking and making it public shows the country's in a lot of trouble? I believe in uh, political accountability, that on your watch you've got to be held accountable for the way you conducted yourself. And there's two ways to hold somebody accountable. Through congressional oversight, which is a political process where you look into the behavior of the administration to explain it to the public and make people account for what they did. And the other is the criminal process. So let's, let's apply that to Brennan. Was there ever any unmasking requests by Brennan that were political in nature versus national security in nature? It's okay to ask for an unmasking of an American citizen who's on a phone call with a foreign entity that's being surveilled. But you're supposed to minimize those contacts. You have to have a legitimate national security reason. I find it very curious, all these unmasking requests of the incoming national security advisor, General Flynn. What do we know? They didn't like Flynn. Flynn rained on the parade that bin Laden's dead. We're all safe. It was General Flynn who said in 2014, no, 
Al-Qaeda is alive and well. There's a lot of animosity. So here's the question. Why were they surveilling the incoming National Security Advisor, who had every right in the world to be talking to Russians or anybody else about changing policy? What motivated those requests? And that's the point of oversight. And if I find anything that I think is criminal, I turn it over to Durham. Why were you why were you for the Mueller report and the investigation at the time? And why are you against why in looking back, you weren't you don't feel it was necessary now? Well, I feel like that everybody in the country is subject to the law. You agree with that? Nobody, including the president, is above the law. The Department of Justice had a conflict where uh, Attorney General Sessions was part of Trump's campaign. Rosenstein said, because of this conflict, I have to appoint somebody new outside the Department of Justice to look into whether or not there was any collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign. That was a logical thing to do only if there was evidence of collusion. So I supported the inquiry because that's just the way the system works. I supported an inquiry of Bill Clinton. But what I've never supported is uh, once it's over, you can't look at the work product. So what am I going to do? I'm going to call the Mueller people back in and ask them, what evidence did you have in 2017 when the investigation was started that Trump people were colluding with the Russians? There has to be a legal basis to empower the special counsel. I want to ask Rosenstein, what was the legal basis? What evidence did you have that Carter Page was working with the Russians? In 2017, the subsource in January disavowed the dossier. Without the dossier, there's no warrant. In General Flynn's case, January the 4th, they wanted to close out the file. Uh, in Papadopoulos's case, they got him on tape saying it would be a crime to work with the Russians. It would be treason. So the question for me is, was there any legitimate basis in August of 2017 to even open the damn thing? That will be my job to investigate the investigators. Now, among the people who asked for the unmasking is the U.S. ambassador to Italy. Am I wrong to think Italy, Joseph Mifsud? Joseph Mifsud is the one who was speaking with Papadopoulos. Am I jumping too far ahead or did you think the same thing? I thought a couple things hit me kind of as odd. On the 12th of January, the day that the David Ignatius article came out about the Flynn contact with the former ambassador, Russian ambassador, uh, you had Biden and McDonough making an unmasking request on the day of the article. On January the 5th, you had an unmasking request made by Comey. That's the day they briefed President Obama about the counterintelligence investigation of General Flynn. I want to know what were the reasons for these unmasking requests, and here's what would be wrong. It would be wrong to take a national security tool and turn it into a political tool. Were they trying to set General Flynn up? They didn't like him. They wanted him to be fired. They recommended Obama not hire him. Were they out to get him? Were they using the intelligence apparatus as a way to undermine uh, General Flynn's credibility and viability? Those are the type of questions that we'll be asking in the Judiciary Committee. I'm sure Senator Johnson and Grassley will be asking in the Oversight Committee. Uh, and I'm going to be asking, why was Flynn prosecuted to begin with? Why did this Justice Department want to dismiss the case? What was the new evidence? What was the new reasoning 
to compel Attorney General Barr to dismiss the case. I want to call Sally Yates to talk about the conversation she had with President uh, Obama on January the 5th. Why was she surprised that Obama knew more about the Flynn case than she did? And just see where all that takes us. Here is uh, Joe Biden uh, when asked last night, why did you ask to unmask? Cut 31. Mr. Vice President, what was your involvement in the investigation uh, of Michael Flynn and the FBI investigation of Michael Flynn? I was never a part or had any knowledge of any criminal investigation into Flynn while I was in office, period. Not one single time. I, I was wrong with that setup. He never followed up, but you asked for him to be unmasked. There's no way that yeah, statement so can the, stand, Senator Graham. Right. So the question is, what was the purpose of the unmasking request by the vice president of General Flynn as General Flynn is about to become the new national security advisor? What's so chilling here is you got the outgoing administration surveilling the incoming administration. It is not unusual for a national security advisor in waiting in transition to start reaching out to foreign governments and setting up contacts about policy, how it will change, where where they will be going under the Trump administration versus Obama. What is unusual, I think, is for the highest levels of the outgoing administration to be surveilling the incoming national security advisor. I find that incredibly odd. You legally can make these requests, but you cannot use them for political purposes. So what I want to know, I want to know what was the reason that Joe Biden had to make a, a, a masking request, and we'll see where the evidence takes us. Senator, why not just ask President Obama? He knows everything. That's what the President Trump wants you to do. Yeah, well, that's a bit problematic. Uh, the one thing uh, I'm going to be as consistent here, Adam Schiff has a view that you can uh, impeach a president if they in- invoke executive privilege. Article 2 of the uh, Trump impeachment uh, was obstruction of Congress. Every Republican rejected that idea. In, in Adam Schiff's world, you can haul a president before the Congress while they're in office. You can ask for information about their national security advisor, about their chief of staff. You can just wreak havoc on the institution. The president rightly claimed executive privilege to his secretary of state, his chief of staff, his national security advisor, and saying, no, these are privileged communications. Yeah. They go to national security. And rather than allow that to be litigated, they impeached President Trump for even raising the privilege. Every Republican rejected that argument. And here's what I would say to the Trump administration. Don't start making the Schiff argument when it comes to Trump. Obama has the same privileges. So if I find something that makes me suspicious of President Obama, if he may have been part of committing a crime against General Flynn or anyone else, I will turn that over to Mr. Durham. Mr. Durham gotcha. is a prosecutor. He has the power to look at these and, things. And we'll hopefully get that by the center. Senator Lindsey Graham, thanks so much. I know you have a presser in two minutes. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, happy to be with you again all week long. Shannon Bream is getting ready to join us. Just, I feel like I just watched her because I always watch the replay when I get up at 3 in the morning, but she does her show live at 11 o'clock, uh, Fox News at night. Uh, and I'll be joining her tonight at 11 o'clock, and we'll probably be talking about her book, Finding the Bright Side, unless I can squeeze in uh, a little of my book, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, and most of all, talk about the news, because there's so much to discuss as we're in these unprecedented times. Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour, uh, as he, uh, like I, try to find a way to stand up the economy in a safe, secure way, while Pennsylvania, New York, and Michigan seem to have leaders that want just the opposite. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. California and New York, Illinois, and a bunch of other blue states, they're all in on the lockdown. The folks who are in swing states, not as much. That's where you're seeing the disparity in the numbers where Biden has a national lead, but he's losing in the battleground states. Presidential politics. New CNN poll shows the president up in all the battleground states over Joe Biden, while Biden leads nationally. Guess what? CNN not showing that poll. I guess they should try it again. Number two. Does this go potentially all the way up to President Obama at the time? Biden and other people like Samantha Powers and Susan Rice being very close to the president, being involved in this, it looks suspicious. Unmasking mess and the state of the fight for Flynn. As the president demands, President Obama finally answers some questions. Number one. These protests make it likelier that we're going to have to stay in a stay-home posture. They need to understand the consequences of their cowardly act. They are engaging in behavior that is both selfish and unsafe. Tom Wolf, governor of Pennsylvania. Gretchen Whitmer, governor of Michigan. Not in a race to open. I'm in a race to open responsibly. One more city loosens up restrictions, while Pennsylvania, New York, and Michigan lag and protests resume. We're going to travel the nation to see if our leaders really know what's at stake, where sheltering at home is just not an option. Uh, Joining me now is Shannon Bream, uh, although she's at home and she's allowed to uh, seek shelter. But thankfully, it's nice out. You can actually go outside. Am I right, Shannon? Yeah, today's going to be beautiful. I know. It's fantastic. You think I could take the liner out of my suit? Yeah, and your pool, too. It's time to get back out there. All right, good. Yeah, my pool's ready to go. It's just uh, the earth wasn't. But hopefully it mm-hmm. is now. Shannon, I, I don't, uh, I see these polls that say 60% of the country think we're opening up too quick. 38% think we're going too slow. Nobody I talk to thinks we're going too slow. I mean, too quick. To me, there's a thirst, and I don't, I don't want to lead the witness. There's a thirst to open up and a resentment for those who aren't. Do people understand that our economy is flat on its back on a respirator, needing paddles, that sheltering at home really isn't a long-term option, and we're in this thing called long-term right now? Yeah, and you have to think about what they're being fed each day. Um, There are a lot of papers now. I mean, I have a big, long reading list that I go through every morning, um, and there's some of them that are just so difficult to open up right now because there's not one 
bit of good news. You really have to search for the things that show like, hey, this vaccine is showing incredible promise. It's working in rhesus monkeys, which are, you know, the closest that you would test before you go to humans. Um, Things are fast tracking or this uh, therapeutic seems to really be showing promise. I mean, there's plenty of bad news out there. We know that. That's realistic. The economy is in dire straits all around the world. Um, And we're losing people every day. But there is good news and there are sparks of hope. And people need to hear that, too. Um, it's factual, legit news, but it's really hard to find those nuggets. Um, so when people are being fed that constant diet, um, I'm not surprised that the polling would show that they're afraid to, you know, to open back up. Most of the people that I talk to, the ones who've gotten out there, traveled in states where you can eat outside or, you know, go get your nails done. I mean, people um, say that, uh, you know, um, everybody is taking a a ton of extra precaution, but it makes you feel like a human being to get out there. These businesses are desperate for you to come through the door um, and that there has to be a happy medium um, to getting people back out there while safely making sure that employers and employees can go back. Yeah, I mean, uh, Governor Cuomo today will allow uh, some freedom, phase one freedom in five counties, but not a lot. And he's had a devastating record in terms of predictions. Thankfully, they've been in favor of uh, life and survival. But he asked for a ship. He got a ship. He never put people on the ship. He asked to convent the, uh, the uh, convention center. He converted, only used 100 beds, and they're all gone. The convention center's collapsed in a good way. And he said, I need all these respirators. He did not need all those respirators. Uh, and now he has enough uh, PPE uh, for everybody, but he's still not moving. Here's what he said yesterday, cut six. Up until today, as I am before you, I can look you in the eyes and say we did everything that we could. As a society, you can't save everyone. You're going to lose people. That's life. That's somebody else is in charge of that. Much higher pay grade. But we did everything we could. I want to make sure the same is true until this is over. We did everything we could. I sense, though, with his coffers empty, with everything trending in the right direction, doing everything you could might be using that same energy to tell people how to open up safely in this environment rather than sit back and wait for the numbers to line up. Now he's allowing outdoor recreational activities like tennis, landscaping, and gardening, not that those are fun, and a drive-in movie, if you could find one. Good luck with that. My GPS said try again when I put it in. So (laughs) not many drive-in movies. I left it with the drive-in movies are sitting there somewhere with my station wagon. But there is a real slow movement here and in Pennsylvania. And here's Tom Wolf kind of threatening his own people. Cut to. These folks are choosing to desert in the face of the enemy. In the middle of a war that we Pennsylvanians are winning and that we must win, they need to understand the consequences of their cowardly act. They are engaging in behavior that is both selfish and unsafe. So how do you explain the disconnect? Those towns are not selfish and those people are not unsafe. Maybe Philadelphia is. There's a difference, Shannon. Yeah, there is. And there are several counties um, that have pushed back formally there in Pennsylvania. Like, listen, we've got a handful of cases. We need to reopen because we are losing gas stations and restaurants and barber shops and printing shops. I mean, they're in desperate straits. They're the closest ones to the people who are banging down their doors every day saying, please tell us how to reopen. We've got to do this. We'll do it by your rules, but we need to know. You know, I've got friends who own businesses in this area here in D.C. who are saying, you know, the days keep shifting. I've got to rehire people. First of all, a lot of people don't want to come back because 
they um, are afraid and they're doing better staying home on unemployment than they are coming back to this restaurant. But I got to staff it up. And if every week you say, okay, next Friday, nope, not this Friday, next Friday, it's almost impossible for them to be up and running and ready to go when they can in some way open their doors. So I know people are super, super frustrated. And um, listen, governors have the the toughest, I think, spot right now because almost all of the decision-making is on their desk, on their lap. I mean, it's for them to make these decisions. Um, and there are a number of people out there who feel like, Listen, I'm not trying to be selfish, like the the owner in the salon owner in Dallas who said, if you think me trying to feed my kids and make sure that my workers can eat is selfish, I'm not going to cop to right. that. I mean, we got to feed people. But Shannon, um, but but you are it's so not kind. binary. It's not kill people or kill the economy. I mean, there are there's a lot of nuance in between that. Right. Uh, you are so kind and fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna be unkind and uh, but I still think fair. If you tell me I can go to a restaurant, I can make my own decision. If you tell me I can't go to a restaurant, you made the decision for me. So if I feel insecure going to my sports bar because I don't think they've put proper attention to it or I just don't feel good about the virus or I have underlying conditions, I have freedom of choice to go to the beach and do this horrible thing called sun tanning. I can walk mm-hmm. on the beach, but I can't sit on the still. beach. That's, that to <laughs> me is not fair. That to me is, that is oppressive. And in fact, Joe Rogan, he has the number one podcast in the country, stand-up comedian, UFC expert. Uh, he actually said this. He's in California, and he can't take it anymore. Cut 11. Hey, I might move to Texas. If California continues to be this restrictive, Yeah. I don't know if this is a good place to live. I might jet. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I'm not kidding. This is silly. I don't need to be here. And he was talking to... Mm-hmm. Uh, Congressman Crenshaw, when he said that. And you know what? So many people have done just that, Shannon. Yeah. I mean, Elon Musk. I mean, we could start a list of all the people who have said, that's it. I got to go. I mean, when L.A. County said this week they could be closed until August, people were like, oh, heck no. I mean, they can only take so much. I mean, it's like Dave Portnoy, who went on the rant um, from Barstool Sports, who um, a lot of F-bombs would not forward that to my mom or my grandma. Um, but I got Oh, you know what? Want to hear it? It's gone from... Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, let's hear it. I watched it on your show, too. Cut eight. What the f*** going on? When did this become flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve to we have to find a cure or everyone's going to die? Find a cure? Who says we're going to find a cure? People have been mentally preparing. We're doing what you ask. We've done exactly what you said. Now you're changing the rules. He's 100%. The sports guy's 100% right. Yeah, I mean, people will go along as long as they feel like you're being fair and logical. And of course, in the beginning, we were all like, okay, none of us want to get it. We don't want to endanger old people. We don't want to endanger people with vulnerabilities. Let's all stay home and do what we have to do. And I think there was a camaraderie. Everybody's like, we're doing this for the country, for the world. We're going to say, you know, and then, you know, Portnoy says again in another part of that, he says, it's like telling people get on a plane, you have a six-hour plane ride, and then five and a half hours in, you're like, nope, we're adding 10 hours to your plane ride. Like, you mentally get yourself ready for what has to happen next and what you're going to do and how long this is going to last. Um, and, yeah, if, if we were told it's to flatten the curve, and like you pointed out, we didn't use, thank God, we didn't use all the hospital ships, we didn't use all the temporary hospitals that went up for hundreds of millions of dollars and saw three patients, thank God. Um, but at some point you have to say, all right, this was the bargain that we all made. If you no longer trust your leaders to tell you the truth or be making good decisions, that's why people are going to show up and riot at the capitals and not want to go along with this anymore because they don't trust what you're telling them. Uh, listen, the other thing I do, I, I agree everything with what you're saying, Shannon. 
Uh, and that, I watched your show, and I pulled some of that, and I watched Tucker last night with Dave Portnoy, and I, heard, I watched the Barstool thing earlier. That's exactly how I feel. Uh, and when, if you say that, certain people say, well, you don't like old people, and it's just so insulting. But the one thing we can agree on is at 9 o'clock Eastern time, every Sunday for the last three weeks, we've had a chance to watch the last dance, the, last, the Bulls' last run of the championship, and really a retrospective on Michael Jordan's career. Uh, you have watched this. Uh, it's the closest we get to sports. Here's the moment I picked out, and I want you to comment on it. Michael Jordan talking about why he was so tough on his teammates, and they said flat out earlier in the documentary he was brutal, he was tough, he was blank, blank, blank. Cut 53. You asked all my teammates? One thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't do. When people see this, they're going to say, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Oh, well, that's you. Because you never wanted anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. Hmm. And he got emotional. Hey, you know why? Uh, first off, what do you, why do you think he got emotional there? Um, it, because as much as he says, like, listen, I'm going to drive everybody. I'm competitive. I don't care what they say. I think there has to be some part of him that cares what people say. Like, he was a jerk and blah, blah, yes. blah, and everything yes. else. Um, but, man, I there are so few people I've ever seen on this planet who are as driven as that dude. And, look, when you look at the number of championships and all the things that he achieved, like, that hard work and, and just a drive that is above human normal standards obviously paid off. And people are not all going to like you when you are pushing that hard and you're pushing them that hard. I mean, a lot of people think of you sort of as the Michael Jordan of Fox News, but look where you take us. It's worth it in the end. I have a better body. I know I do have a better body than <laughs> and, and a better jump shot. Uh, I think we're about even now. <laughs> uh, I'm probably a better so- I probably am a better soccer player. Maybe I'll take that. Okay. Um, so okay. Shannon, I'm going to be on tonight. Do you have any do you have any dress restrictions? Or any? Um, do you want to? Do I wear magenta or blue? We try to pick it up a notch on Friday nights. We ask our guests to wear something with a sequin involved, a tiara maybe. Okay. Um, I'll leave that to your judgment because I feel like um, you're a fashionista in your own right, and um, we're looking forward to it. We've taken uh, audience questions, and I'm not going to hold back. Where the tough ones are going to be the ones I give you tonight. You are not. You're not serious, right? Well, you don't know until you show up. See you at eleven. Right. She's the woman with a live audience. <laughs> Nobody else in America, not even NASCAR, has got a live audience. But Shannon's got one. Uh, Shannon, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Can't wait to have you on tonight. Yeah, it's going to be great. And the last dance is at the last weekend on Sunday. Uh, so Shannon Bream, Fox News at night uh, at 11. Thank you, Shannon. Um, and we'll be talking about Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. Been out for a couple of days on paperback. Back with the moment with your calls and emails. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Certainly not an exercise of of democratic principles where we have 
free speech, these protests, um, it, you know, in a in a perverse way, make it likelier that we're going to have to stay in a stay home posture. Do you believe this woman, Governor Gretchen Whitmer? What an embarrassment. She's doing more to get Donald Trump Michigan again than anybody else. Maybe you don't view it that way, but Al does. Al Wright writes me just now, says, when I say I want to reopen Michigan, I admit I'm being selfish because I am drowning in debt and Gretchen is holding me underwater. I am trying to save myself. I hear you. Thanks, Al. Uh, Keep on the keep the pressure up. Sally, listen, on KRMG in Oklahoma. Hey, Sally. Hi, how are you? Great. I am I am from Oklahoma and I'm having a hard time dealing with people that are, are not open their states. We started our second phase today. And even our first uh phase was a little more lenient than even the White House because our numbers were so good and we have an awesome governor. Governor Stitt. He is wonderful. He is. And you guys are now going to start with you sports next week. Uh, you're coming back strong. I, a friend of mine was uh, at a restaurant. I was on the, this morning on KRMG, and you guys are getting closer to normalcy. Nebraska is. So many are. Uh, so, guys, be responsible about it. Don't do what Wisconsin did, uh, that scene of that sports bar, and just pack the place and sit on top of each other because it'll make the governor look like he was right all along and the Supreme Court look wrong. Mark, listening on WMNC. Hey, Mark. Hey, Brian. I uh, just want to pick up on what Carl Rove was saying earlier. I totally agree with him. The crime was committed. The unmasking was not, although it's improper, was not illegal. The crime was in the leak uh, to, the, to, the, to the press. And I think the reason they've used so many different people to do that, these people have nothing if not great senses of self-preservation. They want to create plausible deniability in a court of law if it ever comes to that. So I think that's the answer to the question of why so many people uh, had access to the leaks. And I think we need to use the RICO laws to prosecute this case. You mean go into their wiretaps and find out their phones from three years ago? I don't know if that's possible and see who talked to Dave Ignatius. Dave Ignatius is also this guy with great contacts who's always working his people. So he could say, hey, I talked to Dave Ignatius and yeah, we talked about uh, Israel. But I, I believe that either Biden's got a chief of staff doing his stuff and Samantha Power had somebody else just using her name, or they're flat out lying. They're flat out lying. And I, I know I don't know the story. Mark Thiessen's next, Washington Post columnist, deep thinker, terror expert. He's got a view on this, and then we are your calls and emails. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I expect that Judge Sullivan's going to either get stopped in his tracks by the D.C. Circuit or even the Supreme Court. And what's really going to happen is that all this information about this January 5th meeting and the Obama administration's effort to use these surveillance tools against Flynn and other Trump administration members is going to have to get wrapped up in the Durham report. And that's really going to tell us what really happened here. That is John Yu talking about the astounding decision that Judge, uh, that Judge Sullivan would kick the 
the Mike Flynn case over to a retired judge to analyze whether they should prosecute without prosecutors. Joining us now to try to make sense of it is Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Uh, Mark, nobody, uh, very few people were expecting this case to take this turn after May 7th's uh, announcement by the by the attorney general that they're no longer going to pursue any prosecution on Mike Flynn. What's going to be the series of events that will take place? you think John Yu is right? I, th- I think John Yu is always right <laughs> to yeah. begin with. Um, Smart you guy. know, I, if you read the I, I read the it's a 108 page uh, motion that was filed uh, with with the court laying out. It, I mean, it's a textbook case by, uh, you know, example by example uh, of FBI misconduct in the Flynn case. I mean, first of all, Flynn. Uh, should have never been interviewed in, to begin with because the investigation he was uh, he was under surveillance and under investigation in the cro- it was crossfire razor which was a subset of crossfire hurricane the investigation into what we now know as the trump russia collusion conspiracy theory and he had been cleared they found no derogatory information about him so there was they were they were and they had ordered that the case would have to would, would be closed against him and that there was no need uh, this is the FBI's own document saying there was no need for any interview to close out the case so there was no underlying investigation so when you lie to the FBI in order for that to be a crime um, and there's dispute as to whether he lied um, but if you lie, it has to be a lie that's material to an ongoing investigation. And he pleaded to, the, to having committed that material crime without being told that the investigation on him had been closed. So, it, I mean, it's just a complete miscarriage of justice. Um, and for and then you go through the FBI, the way the way they conducted themselves. So there's certain standard procedures when you interview someone, especially at the White House. One, you have to the FBI needs to get clearance from their bosses at the at the Justice Department, including the attorney general. They didn't do that. They need to coordinate with the White House counsel to interview a senior administration official. They didn't do that when they sit down with the with the, with the person um, they need. You know, they did. They weren't trying to find out what was said in the call because they had a word for word transcript of it. Right. So their standard yep. procedure was to show him the transcript and say, what did you mean when you said this? And so he could, they were trying to catch him in, in, in telling falsehoods about the conversation. And they also never told him that lying in this interview is a, is a, is a, is a criminal offense, all of which is standard procedure. So it's very clear that this was a perjury trap. Um, they were trying and to also, get you got to also factor him. in his son. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, you know, he, he pleaded guilty under under duress because they were threatening his son. Um, and and then he tried to withdraw it and allege misconduct. And now the and now the Justice Department has uncovered all of this misconduct. And by the way, this is you know, everyone's blaming Barr for this. This was done by by John Jensen, who is the U.S. Mater- attorney for Eastern Missouri. He's a 20 year veteran of the he 20 years as a prosecutor and a FBI special agent. <laughs> who who reviewed the case and found all of this misconduct and recommended to Barr that the that the case be uh, dismissed. Uh, fascinating. There's something else, and I'm probably going to surprise you with this. I've not seen this anywhere. But yesterday afternoon, it seems as though Michael Flynn's former attorneys are petitioning to get back on the case, not for Michael Flynn, but to weigh in with this retired judge who's going to analyze whether they should be prosecuted or not. Now, keep in mind, Flynn was critical of their handling. He wouldn't have fired him. And these guys belong to Covington, who is the retired judge who is, uh, belongs to the, the retired judge who belongs to Covington. 
who's analyzing this case. Can you make sense of their role, retired attorneys trying to factor themselves in? I, I don't know what their purpose is. I, I, you, this is the first I'm hearing of it, but I would assume that any conversations they had with Flynn are covered by attorney-client privilege. So I don't know how they could, how, what, what role they could have uh, in anything that's derogatory to, to their former client. That would be just an yeah, they they've abomination. They formally fi- yeah, they formally filed court papers to reappear in his case. Yeah. Wow. Now let's let, let's Without be him. clear about something. Let's be clear. Okay, Flynn. Flynn was wronged, but that doesn't mean he's a. Um, because you know, there's this talk about about uh, you know, oh, we should bring him back into the Trump administration. No, he lied to the vice president. This is a guy who lobbied for Turkey, uh, which is a which is a hostile nation. It's a NATO ally, but has been a, a, you know undermining U.S. interests. Tried to get. Uh, the, the the Clara Galoon, who's who's here in the, in the United States, extradited over there. This is, this is he's not a good guy, and not somebody that Donald Trump should want to have around him. But that doesn't mean that the that the treatment that he's uh, he's undergone is all, all right. That should be tolerated, and you know that if the judge doesn't handle this correctly, that Trump should I think Trump should pardon him. Mark, I tell you, uh, I think he is a really good guy. He took on a client in Turkey. Turkey's a NATO member. Erdogan's an evil guy. I wouldn't have done that, recommended that. I'd love to hear his side of the story on that. I think he's an unbelievable leader, a fearless warfighter who interrogated countless uh, al-Qaeda slash ISIS extremists. So I do think he's a good guy. And all I ask is, can we do do everybody a favor and let's hear from him. At some point, we're going to hear from him. And I don't think it's necessary to really take a position against him. Meanwhile, on the Michael Flynn case, what I find pretty fascinating is that Joe Biden is the last person that we could see that asked for him to be unmasked. The last one. So you have seven requests from Samantha Power, three requests from Clapper. You have one from the U.S. ambassador to Italy, and then you have a request from the vice president. All of this doesn't bother CNN host John Berman. Cut 44. So the idea that Obama administration officials ask to unmask Michael Flynn is inaccurate on its face because you don't ask to unmask a specific individual. You ask to unmask or name an unnamed or unknown individual. Exactly. So John Berman's contention uh, of CNN, I know you don't watch, you watch us, that to unmask Michael Flynn is inaccurate. They were just trying to unmask who was on the other call of Kislyak. How many times? How many calls? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that, uh, Brian. I only heard part of the week. I disconnected. I only heard part of the clip. Um, but I, th- I assume your interview, that was the Brennan interview on CNN? No, it was uh, John Berman. He said the idea that the Obama oh, administration officials asked to unmask Michael Flynn is inaccurate on its face because you don't ask to unmask a, uh, an individual. You ask to unmask a name or unnamed individual. But they must yeah. have known, you would think, who was on that call. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, they probably had suspicions of it. I mean, it's a call between, you know, you, if you read the transcript, you could probably have a reasonable guess as to who was on the other end of the call based on, you know, well, you know, the administration, if he's saying the administration is coming in soon and will be doing things differently, you're assuming that it's somebody in the administration. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is that it's true that unmasking somebody is not illegal. Um, and the Trump administration has done it. 
Um, what is illegal is unmasking someone and then leaking that information to the press, which is what happened in the case of Flynn. I mean, the crime that took place in the Flynn case was was giving this information to the Washington Post and the New York Times that was highly classified intelli- signals intelligence uh, of a of a uh, foreign adversary. Um, and also that an American citizen, you know, American, the, the NSA is not allowed to spy on American citizens. The reason why we mask people's names is because Michael Flynn isn't a legitimate intelligence target. He's an American citizen on American soil. The NSA can't spy on him. And if he's caught up in what's called incidental collection, where they're collecting on a legitimate target, an American is, he's supposed to be masked and his identity is supposed to be protected unless there's a serious national security reason for the, his name to be uh, to be revealed to a small number of senior officials who need that information to know the context of the conversation. That's all fine and good if it's limited to those people. But when that shows up in The New York Times and The Washington Post, that is not only a violation of the laws of classification. That is a violation of the civil liberties of an American citizen, where the NSA, where NSA signals intelligence of an American citizen has been made public uh, to the the American people. I mean, that's, that's a huge violation of his rights, his constitutional rights as an American citizen. Got about 90 seconds. I want to pivot to 2020. Uh, Here's Susan Rice when asked about being the running mate of Joe Biden. Cut 45. I'm humbled uh, and honored to be among the extremely accomplished women who are uh, reportedly being considered uh, in that regard. Would you say yes if he asked you to be his VP? I certainly would say yes. Wow. If that were the role in which he felt I could best serve, then I'm not going to say no. So would Susan Rice be a good pick? <laughs> yeah, let's let's uh, the, the 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 lady who like lied on TV about Benghazi over and over again. Let's relitigate all that. I mean, she's she's got a she's got a, a lot of baggage coming with her. Um, but look, so do a lot of the people who are being considered. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know who Joe Biden's vice presidential pick is going to be, but I will tell you, uh, it's the most important vice presidential pick in history because Joe Biden is basically a figurehead. Uh, his, his, he is he is the you know it's like the remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's his administration can be Weekend at Biden's they're going to put a string on his hand and have him sign all the laws that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer uh, you know passed um, and whoever is the vice president is the is going to be the de facto president and the successor uh, in four years so that's a, a hugely important vice presidential pick. So to back up your claim, I want you to hear a little of Joe Biden yesterday. This is flat out scary. Uh, I believe the one we were looking for is and the numbers he has, the numbers he has are so all over the map and shows you he doesn't even know what he's talking about. We're we're, 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 we're it's a, we're in the middle of a pandemic that had cost us more than 85,000 jobs as of today. Lives of millions of people, millions of people, millions of jobs. What have we learned? What 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 have we learned? Is I, I found it both stunning and heartbreaking. What, you know, uh, um, what's he, he, whomever? What are the things that people are most concerned about? What what are you hearing the most? I mean, what's what's what and what keeps you awake at night? What the hell was that? <laughs> That's Bernie. 
<laughs> not, not Bernie Sanders. That's weekend at Bernie's. It's a, it's a, it's a, this guy is this guy is a Trojan horse for democratic socialism. He is not in charge of the party. What they're doing is they're taking a, a Joe Biden moderate. Uh, you know, and putting him as the veneer on 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 the the face of democratic socialism, so they can get everything passed. Um, and so, it's a, one, he's not going to be president in in practice when he's president, um, and he's not going to be in the office very long because somebody else is going to come in and t- and, and take over the job, and that's going to be whoever's the vice presidential pick. So, if Susan Rice is the pick, guess what? You vote if you vote for Biden, you're voting for President Susan Rice. And that's well, scary. I mean, would it if so? How do you play that if you're Trump? How do you play that? He's winning in the battleground states. We know that he's uh, below 50 percent approval rating in the country. Do you know he's nothing if not con- uh, uh, polarizing, all in or all out? And it might be harder this time around. If you're Trump in this pandemic, how do you do you do, you do what Obama did with Romney and say he's rich and out of touch and will bankrupt everybody and just make your opponent bad or you just run on your record? What do you think? Well, I think you both. I mean, first of all, I mean, what 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 Trump, my my continuing frustration with Trump and you know me, I want him to succeed. I want him to be I want him to be reelected. My continuing frustration with Trump is that he's he feeds his base. And there's about there's about 14 percent of like. So before this, before the pandemic hit, his economic approval was 64 percent. His personal approval was at 49, which is an was an all time high. That means there's like a 14, 15 percent of the country that likes his policies that are put off by him. He's got to win those people over, and the pandemic is the perfect opportunity to do that by showing leadership, by 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 resisting the the temptation to argue with the reporters in the in the press briefings, and by by just being presidential, he can win those people over. His base is going to vote for him. They're going to crawl over, you know, carve glass in order to get to, get to the polls to vote for him. He needs to win over that ten to fifteen percent of the electorate that likes his policies and is uncomfortable with him. And to do that, he's got to be presidential, and he's also got to show that Joe Biden is an unacceptable alternate. And by the way, he has named uh, his energy council, AOC, and Bernie Sanders are on it. He's, he's making a part of, of his inner circle. So he's, goodbye he's, cows, he's thin, goodbye cars, goodbye oil and gas, fracking, he's everything. The, he's the thin hardwood veneer on the, on the, uh, on the uh, plywood table that is democratic socialism. It's, they're just trying to put it. They're just trying to put a, a, a nice veneer on these policies that the majority of Americans do not want. He is uh, Mark Thiessen. Mark, thanks so much for making sense in a crazy world. Uh, always good. Uh, always good to be on with you. Go get it, Mark. Hey, uh, listen. Just uh, if you're in the new, if you listen on WRC and WABC, uh, Governor Cuomo says five regions are going to start reopening. New York City and Long Island are extended to May 28th. Uh, within a razors, within a whisker of passing on all counts, but he's going to torture us for another two weeks. Unbelievable. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with some calls and comments in just a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Every day I have between an hour and an hour and a half uh, brief with um, uh, the former head of uh, our former Surgeon General. Anyway, in 1918, excuse me, 2018, I campaigned. Well, I think they should vote their heart. And if they believe Tara Reid, they probably shouldn't vote for me. Uh, that is uh, the brilliance of President, excuse me, Vice President Biden. 
the latest time she, he was asked to tell, ask someone not to vote for them. He basically said, if you believe Tara Reid, don't vote for me. He told that guy who was uh, objecting to him and asking him about something about the Obama years, don't vote for me. He said four times I know off the top of my head. Remember when he was allowed to campaign? I believe that even though he looks pathetic in his basement, I think the best thing that ever happened to him was uh, this pandemic for his, for his campaign. No one ever thinks that uh, a pandemic is a good thing. But for him, in practicality, you forget how inept he is on the campaign trail. So we'll see if this jogs him. Number one, the Tara Reid thing. Number two, uh, we'll see if um, uh, we'll we'll see if his unmasking, the last unmasking of the Trump campaign before it became the Trump presidency, before he left office, the last one to do it was him. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right, let's begin. First off, let's talk about this. U.S. increasing military pressure on China as the tensions rise over the pandemic. The Secretary of State has come forward and said, we know what you're doing when it comes to vaccine. Next, 44% of New Yorkers polled say they will avoid public transportation. 31% they plan to use public transportation less. 5% say they're just going to work from home. Uh, New York will now have the Finger Lakes, the state's uh, southern tier, the Mohawk Valley, and northern county, central New York. Uh, open, but guess what? New York City, Long Island will have to wait at least until May 28th, after Memorial Day. But good news for New Jersey, they'll open up the shore by Memorial Day. Our numbers are increasing at the decreasing at the same rate. We just have a governor with criteria, criteria that's almost impossible to reach, and we're all the worse off for it. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.